Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the I Work For Him podcast. This is Jim Brangenberg. Recently, Martha and I had the opportunity to share with a bunch of pastors who are planting churches in urban environments all over the country, and they wanted to know, hey, how can we plant an I Work For Him church? So we had a conversation. We wanted to share that conversation with you. So this was put on by the Next Wave group from Urban Islands with Steve Pike. Hope you enjoy the conversation. I am really excited about our guests that are here to help us today. Jim and Martha are here to help us think about this issue. Uh, their background is entrepreneurs. They're, they're people that have uh, started businesses, led businesses, trained other people to start businesses. They host a podcast called I Work For Him, which we'll be talking about in just a few minutes. And um, But most probably most importantly, besides the fact that they are parents and grandparents, and I know the grandparent part is uh, the funnest part of that uh, Way deal, easier. at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're also people who are passionate followers of Jesus. So it's possible to love Jesus and be great business people at the same time. What a concept. Amen. Um, <laughs> can you believe it? So anyway, Jim and Martha, welcome today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having us. Steve. Thank you. We're excited to be yep. here. Yeah. And I know, like we said, this is sort of like diving into the deep end of the pool without a life preserver because you don't know any of these people and they don't really know you that well. So let's just get a little bit of context here. Tell us, first of all, about your family. What's uh, Give us a little background on who you guys are and your family. Well, we are both the babies of the family, so this shouldn't work. But 34 years into it, I'm pretty sure that God had a different idea. Um, so we met as teenagers and got married and have kids and all over the country and grandkids. And, um, right now, just almost two years ago, we just moved to Fort Myers, Florida to be near my aging parents. Um, still independent in their mid eighties, but, um, we didn't want denial. We We didn't want them to be on the highway coming to visit us. We were up near Tampa on the beach and, uh, it just was not, you know, good any longer to be so far away and had the ability to move. So we did. And, uh, both sets of our parents are still living and, uh, love the Lord. And we are very blessed by that. Married to each other. Married to each other for over like 65, 67 years. I mean, this is, it's amazing the heritage that Mm. God's allowed us to have. And, um, so that's just a little bit about our family. We've known each other 38 years. We met when we were 16. We started dating before we were 18 and we got married in between our 20th birthdays. Yeah. Wow. So, so that, is that, your your bio says thirty three. Is that right? Thirty three oh, years that you've been married. No, it'll be thirty five this year. Yeah, Martha, gotta oh, I got to update okay. that. It'll be thirty five yeah. this June. Yeah, you you need to update that on your website. We'll do that because yeah, every year counts. <laughs> yeah, every year being married <laughs> counts. Down. That's right. We that's worked right. hard for those years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's good. Okay, so beside now, I I just. Anything you want to tell us about your business experience that you think would be relevant to this conversation? Because I want to, I want to ask you about your church experience next, but just anything that you think would be helpful for us to know well, I, right yeah, now. I think what's really important to understand is that 
Martha grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Her dad owned their own family business. He was a photographer. And I grew up entrepreneurial, but not in an entrepreneurial family. Um, I started selling door-to-door greeting cards as an eight-year-old and golf balls as a 12-year-old. And I sold <laughs> I, I sold stuff. I found hubcaps on the long side of the road, and I sold hubcaps at garage sale. I mean, I, I'm always selling something. <clears throat> so I always had a bent towards sales and, and entrepreneurialism. I didn't know that's what it was because I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. But what's... What's incredible about our story is that Martha and I, our stories intersect three years before we met. We both committed our lives to full-time Christian ministry as 13-year-olds at a youth conference in San Diego, California, three years before we met. And of course, because we committed our lives to full-time Christian ministry, we thought that that meant we're going to work in a church as a youth pastor or a senior pastor. Of course, I was going to be a great preacher and or being on the foreign mission field, which is what Martha thought. And so when we got married, we finished up our business degrees. I have a brother who's got a seminary uh, doctorate and he goes, Jim, get an undergraduate degree before you go to seminary. So you've got something to fall back on. That was a, a laugh. Okay. But, it, but it, so we both have business degrees. I have an IT degree. Martha's got a, uh, an accounting degree and we enrolled in seminary because we thought, well, that was the next step towards our commitment to full-time Christian ministry. We were already volunteering as youth sponsors within our church. And the Lord sent the senior pastor of our church and said, Jim, this is, this is, this is one, of the most, one of the most pivotal statements in my life. Jim, I don't think you could handle having 450 bosses. We need more lay people. Just, just volunteer at the church and, and maybe you'll get to serve on a building committee one day. And then I had two, two mentors in my life at that same church who were 17 years older than me, who owned businesses, who said, business is business and church is church. They have nothing to do with each other. So make a lot of money, give it to the church, and maybe you'll get to serve on that building committee one day. And that defines our journey because we were entrepreneurial. We had a call to full-time ministry, but nobody ever did this with it. And as you made that sarcastic comment that you can actually follow Jesus and run a business, how about for crying out loud people that Jesus grew up in an entrepreneurial family, was running the family business because before he became an itinerary preacher because he was the oldest son. Where's that sermon? Whew, back down. Because <laughs> seriously, there, Abraham's corporation was so big, he had 300 armed security guards. Think about that. Where's those sermons? Yes, business. You can love Jesus and run yeah. a business. Jesus loved Jesus and ran a business. Let's remember that. Okay, sorry. Just, You're not sorry. I want to know, how many of you went to seminary? How many of you went to seminary? Did they ever point out to you that Jesus was a business guy before he was an itinerant preacher? No. Yeah. Matthew, did they for you? I saw you raise your hand. He's like, he's afraid to answer. I mean, literally, (laughs) the heresy that's gone on in seminaries the last Mm. 1,700 years is breathtakingly staggering because they missed that point. So, so Steve, I just want to add to that because this is, this is the part that I do. I kind of like, you know, bring it back to the question. But is, is, I love the fact that you asked, is there anything you need to know, we need to know about your business life, you know, that is going to help this conversation. Oh, yeah. And all of that, there's just, there's woundedness because of just conversation. Yeah. Be a there, was a lot of, there was a lot of guilt because we thought we weren't fulfilling this right. calling that God had told us we were very authentic when we said we wanted to be in full-time Christian ministry. We didn't understand that we could do that yeah. in our entrepreneurial way. Mm. So um, it's really key. 
And we're the people sitting in the pews. And that's the part that I love about you inviting us into this conversation is that um, you, we are so excited to be able to share this time with you so that we can, um, you know, just maybe there's one thing that we say that you'll, you'll think differently as you're starting your churches and helping other people start their churches and so on. Um, to just look at it a little differently so that you can help mm. people thrive with the gifts that God's given them mm. rather than just sit back and feel guilty and write a tithe check. And a further clarification, because Steve's going to have a hard time controlling it. First of all, uh, we love you guys. We love what you're doing. We are passionate followers of Jesus. I have certain things that frustrate me. And when that pastor used lay minister, it's kind of a weapon to me. It, here's what I interpreted mm. for 20 years of my life, that I was a second tier citizen in the kingdom because I was a lay minister. Mm-hmm. And then I've learned from my seminary guys who actually understand Hebrew and Greek, which of course I never want to ever understand, please Lord, don't make me go to seminary, <laughs> that that's not really what it was saying. It, it yeah. lay minister. No, we are all ministers. Okay, go ahead. And we've worked together much of our 35 years of marriage. We have worked side by side. Yeah, that's great. So I, I'm kind of starting to realize that we're not going to have any trouble getting you to say what you think, Jim. Um, that's Do I need clear. to apologize already? No, 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 no. Please. Please he wake, do not. He wakes up every morning and says, Lord, I'm sorry. I say anything. <laughs> no, no. You are among friends. And mm. the great thing about this forum is if they're offended, they can just, you know, Good. check Please out go. and leave. I no. mean, literally, you, you'll know. So. Throw something at the screen. Anyway, so... Okay, so, so this, all of this stuff, I mean, it converged in you coming to an understanding that you can, with, with your business, actually honor and serve Jesus fully without any holds barred. But one of, the, one of the outcomes of that has been this podcast. And you guys are usually, it's kind of the reverse here. Usually you're the people interviewing somebody, yeah. I think. Is yes. that how the That's podcast correct. works? Yep. So, so, so that's, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to interview you guys uh, the best I can. And I probably need to get, you know, go to interviewing school or something to learn how to do that well. But so that's why you guys have those really cool headsets and, you know, you've got your shirts. I mean, you guys are, of course, you, the podcast is just audio, right? Actually, we're also, we um, now kind of being forced because of COVID, all of our interviews went to um, Zoom format. And so we actually oh, okay. have a YouTube channel. So you can actually watch the interviews, which is sometimes a little bit more engaging when if people want to do that and see who we're talking to or whatever. So we do have a YouTube channel um, in addition to the podcasting that we do. And then we still have a show on the radio too, which is a one minute to just help people start their workday with uh, the Bible in mind. Because we started on the radio. I mean, eight years ago, we started on the radio uh, one day a week, uh, and it grew to five days a week. But then it happened that Christian talk radio stations really started becoming less and less relevant and way more expensive than what we could afford and what we could raise. But we will try to be good guests and let you uh, ask (laughs) the questions. (laughs) So far, you're five star. I'm fine. No, so just tell us about the, the podcast. Tell us about, I, I work for him and the podcast. What's that all about? So what we realized is that as Christian business people, business people who were Christians, is that we had never been told to connect the two. And in 2005, a buddy of mine sent me an email by a guy named Oz Hillman, who talked about the integration of faith and work and the fact that as a manager of 26 people, I was actually a pastor, that I had the ability to pastor the people I worked under, that 
everything about my work mattered to God. Not just that I do it with integrity, but that I was actually serving the Lord as Colossians 3, 23 and 24 talk about. I'd never heard that before. I was 40 years old and I grew up in the church. So I'd been exposed to Jesus for 40 years and I'd never once had anybody tell me that my work outside of the church mattered to God. And so I started paying attention to how people who were Christians, who were business people acted in the marketplace and it frustrated me. And so, and I'd want to walk up to him and go, please, if you are going to act this way in the marketplace, please don't tell people you know Jesus because nobody's ever going to be attracted to Jesus if you act that way. But we know why, because you four seminarians, you never heard anything about business and, and Christianity intersecting. Most of you were told that business was actually a necessary evil instead of actually being designed by our heavenly father. I just said, Lord, I want to start discipling Christian business people. We all need to know this. And the culmination of that was I, I prayed for a an opportunity on November the 20th, 2012. I said, Lord, I can see how I can help four or five Christian business guys by discipling them, but how do we challenge thousands of people? Because this is an epidemic in Christianity Mm -hmm. that people don't know that their work matters to God. Whether they're a business person or a nurse or a teacher or a doctor or an elected official, whatever, that we've got biblical examples for all that stuff. And they were all giving glory to God. Why can't we do that in today's culture? And so we just, I, I was sharing about that in a small little group in 2013. And somebody, I sat down next to somebody and she goes, you should talk about that in the radio. And that's where I work for him was birthed. It was never an idea that we had to talk on the radio. And now 1800 shows and 3000 guests later, it's, it's something we're still very passionate about. Wow. So talk to us about this. I, and the way I interpret, the way I'm hearing it, but it might not be the right right way. I think you might reword this, but it sounds like the perhaps one of the most underutilized missionary forces or uh, purposes of the church being carried out is with the church members themselves. What you know? What do you mean by underutilized? What's what's the potential sitting in or being a part of uh, these congregations? Well, you know, this is the exciting part of the conversation, and a really interesting dynamic is that when um, Jim told you I was raised in an entrepreneurial family, my dad was a photographer, Um, it was a family business with his name on the sign, and he ended up selling that business, becoming a missionary, going to Venezuela, but not to preach the gospel, to photograph the very work that was being done in that country. At that time, it was a thriving mission field, and there were hundreds, if not thousands, of missionaries in Venezuela. So in high school, I went to Venezuelan boarding school um, for a year. My parents were missionaries. So this whole idea of trying to grasp, like, okay, my dad was a businessman. They became missionaries, but he's doing his work. He was doing what he was trained to do. He didn't stop doing that. And this kind of morphing that with this idea that every single person sitting in a church being taught the scriptures um, has been gifted in a specific way by God with certain gifts, talents, and abilities. Maybe they're really good at numbers. Maybe they're really good at managing people or laying concrete or whatever it is that they're really good at. Where they have influence is the people they work with every day. They don't need to stop using the gifts and talents that God has given them, but to see this opportunity for the mission field 
that they go to every day. They actually get paid. They are actually funded missionaries, fully funded because they earn their paycheck. And so we kind of love that term because it's a new way of looking at it. It's like, I don't need to go raise money to work in this mission field God already has me in. So underutilizing that, that those missionaries is just this whole conversation that we get to have now of saying, okay, your people that you are preaching to, that you are ministering to in your churches, how are we getting them equipped to go to work to the mission field and be the light in whatever that very dark world is that they're that they might be working in every day. You know, we really got to go back to Constantine. If you want to blame anybody for the issues that we have in the church today, go back to Constantine. He was the one that got the the Roman Emperor Constantine. He was the one that said every, he became a believer. Said everybody should be a believer, and he created the Roman Catholic Church and a hierarchy and all that kind of stuff. If you want to look at how the church was supposed to run, look at the early church. They didn't have buildings. They, they weren't focused on what everybody said was the most important hour of the week. No, they were focused on the other 167. And that's really what I want to challenge all you guys. It's not about the hour on Sunday. It's the other 167 that are important. That, that the seminaries and, so, and our culture has taught us to really, that, that pastors um, create, a, their, their job is to create a little K kingdom. You know, a, a gathering under a building where what was really supposed to happen and what happened in the early church is that the gatherings were manufacturing plants, that that is the role of the church, not to build a kingdom, but to build a manufacturing plant and Hmm. to roll off people off the assembly line every Sunday or whenever they're coming, because it's not always on Sundays anymore, especially now COVID-19 ish, that the other 167 is what's important. And we need to have effective believers who know how to live out their faith, no matter what they do, whether they're, whether they're an electrician that brings things to life when they connect it to electricity. So they connect a generator and they bring things to life and they display an attribute of God. You know, it's, it, it's so important that we understand that the other 167 are the most important hours of the week. That is when uh, believers get exposed to people who lack hope and any hope for a future and they lack life. Mm. Mm. Wow. Um, the 167 is the most important. So what about the one? What's, mm. what, what's your advice? How, how should leaders use the one to prepare the one, the, the people that they're, they're ministering to for the 167? You know, one one thing I, I'll just, I think we can just share a lot of things back and forth on that. I love that question. And I love that um, you guys might actually be open to hearing, you know, what some of those things might be in the one. I think um, one of the things that was impactful for me, even as a child, was the benediction at the end of the service. I didn't go to a, a, a terribly traditional church, but the pastor always had a benediction. And it was, you know, sending us out. But what are you sending us out to? In my mind, for all, you know, until we started having this conversation when we were 40, I always thought, oh, that's my nights and my weekends. It just was a natural reflection of that. He's sending me out to my neighborhood. Never did the connection get made to my, to the, to the eight hours or more that most of us spend in our work every day. And so one key thing is just 
and I'm not saying you have to have a benediction, you know, in the traditional well, yeah, don't sense. Don't use that word, but, it'll freak well, people, people out. People don't know what it is anyway. They don't have programs anymore. They'll but, think you're casting any, a curse but, over them. But, you know, just that whole idea of what you've just taught me, how, what am I going to do with that tomorrow morning? You know, what, how, making that segue, just interjecting um, words that help me to apply it, not just to my nights and my weekends. Because for whatever reason, something was said that made, that didn't connect that for me. Uh, in, and that's in a church. phenomenal point. And we want to call it, it's not the 167, it's the other 167. Because we got to talk about what are we doing that? But here's, here, here's something that I've seen that there's an issue with, with the organized church of today. So let's just call it the four walls church because the body of Christ got a lot of amazing things going on. Out in the marketplace, the marketplace of ideas and the marketplace uh, where, where things are bought and sold, there are no denominations. You're a Jesus follower. Nobody says, are you a Catholic Jesus follower or a Baptist Jesus follower? Or are you one of those Pentecostal Jesus followers? Nobody says that. They're like, you're a Jesus follower. That's fantastic. Denominational lines are wiped clean. All 43,000 of them disappear Sunday, the minute you leave the church building. Because when you're on the marketplace, people are like, oh, you're a believer? That's fantastic. Yeah, we all have different flavors of our the religious stuff that's been poured into us. But anyway, that's an aside. Here's something that, that I think is really important that we've missed. There's a pastor out of Canada, A. That his name is John Van Sloten. I have a rule. If you say Canada, you always have to say A. I grew up in Minnesota. Okay. So John Van Sloten is a pastor out of Toronto. And he wrote a book, Every Job a Parable. And I recommend that you all read it. Every Job mm-hmm. a Parable. He, he spent eight years doing a sermon once or twice a month, highlighting a job that somebody does. <clears throat> And connecting that job to an attribute of God, like the electrician that I used. You know, electricians bring things to life. God brings things to life. An electrician gets a dead thing like a generator or a building without any light, and he connects the stuff up, and all of a sudden, it's working. Mm. How much is that like God? But, mm. but the same thing is, we need to understand, this is something that the, the Four Walls Church has just gotten really messed up with. The Four Walls Church says that it's okay for one person and only one person to share the wisdom that God has given them from the pulpit every Sunday, that the rest of you just need to listen. Yet everybody else in the congregation is having interactions with God, supernatural interactions with God, and God is doing things amazingly in their lives all week long. When do we get to hear that stuff? On Facebook? Come on. That's the pulpit. The pulpit is not for one person. There's nowhere in the scripture that says, everybody gather on Sunday and listen to one person. No, it says, take turns as you share. Okay. We need to let other people get on the pulpit. We need to let women on the pulpit. We need people. Did you know that when people become (laughs) Christ followers, when when people become (laughs) Jesus followers, man, this is going to offend some of you. Certainly ones that went to seminary. When people become Christ followers, they get filled with the Holy spirit and get spiritual gifting. Yet the church has by and large ignored the spiritual gifting of women. Mm. You want to know what's wrong with the church in the world today? We've ignored the spiritual giftings of women for 1,700 years. Women are nurturers. Men are not. And when we have problems in the community, women are naturally there to cure, the, to, to bring about the nurturing. Men are not. Men are wanting to say, get you the buck up. Let's move on. Women are like, no. So, but share. Let the pulpit be open on Sunday. This is one idea. Let the pulpit on Sunday be open, not just to hear you preach some incredible sermon but to hear how God is preaching incredible sermons into people's hearts that are sitting there in your congregation, share it. Yeah. And, and I think, I think to value, you know, 
what he's not saying is the fact that we value the the learning and the mm. wisdom and the counsel that comes through um, the pastor, the actual pastor, the shepherd, but then showing that you validate the other people and the experiences that they're having, whether it's related to last week's sermon or something that, you know, God is just working in their own life, um, both men and women, to be able to say, you know, here's what it here's what it looks like out in somebody's life. I'm a I'm gonna give me an example kind of person. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think to speak to that mm-hmm. um, is is hugely valuable. And again, just making that instead of the example always being the men in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. including all these wonderful women that funded Jesus's ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, where'd they get the funds? Some of them, you know, they had them. Some of them had businesses. Um, But using some of those examples, again, just helps the workforce missionaries to to see that what they're doing really is biblical. And we all know that behind every great man of God, there's a great woman of God. Because a great man of God couldn't be a great man of God without a great woman of God kicking his butt all day long. That just... I get really okay. good practice at that sometimes. <laughs> All right. I think it, the, the point is just throw, start with the box clean. You know, when you're, when you're launching a church, even if you're already in it, you've already got a church established, the old box is worn out. Hmm. Let, let's start, let's start, let the Holy Spirit guide you into what your community needs where you're planting your church. Yeah, that's good. Hey listeners, one of the huge projects Martha and I have been working on for years is making it easy for every workplace believer to find all the voices speaking encouragement and equipping into the faith and work movement. Presenting the Awaken Podcast Network, online at awakenpodcastnetwork.com. With over 130 different podcast voices speaking truth into you, the workplace believer, including over 30 podcasts dedicated to Christian working women. Go online to awakenpodcastnetwork.com. That's awakenpodcastnetwork.com. So, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna let everybody give everybody a heads up. We want to make sure that if you have some questions or reactions or responses or comments that you want to add, um, get ready to do that because I'm gonna open that up in just a minute. I want to just ask you guys um, one more question for now, and then I have a few few closing questions, but. Um, and you've already sort of gone down this road a little bit, but just the, most of the people that you're looking at are people who are involved in startup situations mm. in churches. They're, they're um, at the very early part. By the way, I will mention right now you can't see Matthew because um, he's probably attending to something, some disaster or something. There he is. Oh, he's, he's there. He's there. Okay. So I just wanted to kind of do a little shout out because what's kind of cool is what you're talking about uh, giving giving voice to other people in the congregation. Matthew's doing a great job of that. Oh, and wait a minute! Look at there. I didn't even know Laura was there. Oh, she. <laughs> okay. If you can see Laura's halo is shining bright, that and it's yes. shining on to Matthew. That's exactly <laughs> my point. Yeah. So, well, so what's kind of cool is Maisie is part of the church that uh, Matthew and Laura. Uh, are the are leading they mm-hmm. started about three or four years ago now at least maybe are we getting up what are we at three okay yeah and um and Maisie is uh is someone who's part of that congregation but I'm telling you what Maisie is a powerful anointed preacher mm-hmm. 
Mm. Um, and uh, mm. she has, mm. she has, uh, Matthew steps aside once in a while and lets Maisie go for it. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, so I, I just wanted to tell That's you guys fantastic. that you're, you're talking to some people who have um, actually not just they they don't just agree with you. They're actually showing us how it's done because mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're they're uh, releasing people. So I, I wanted to just take a minute and tell you about everybody here really quick because I think it helped you to know how you can help them. Then you can answer the question I have. So Excellent. Steve Donaldson works with, uh, as I mentioned already to you guys, uh, rural churches. Yep. Uh, Taylor Carmichael is um, actually on the team with uh, Next Wave and also is... Um, you're you're a bookkeeper for a medical company, right? Am I or am I just wrong? You're close. Um, I'm a financial analyst for St. Joseph Health System, and I'm in ministry school. I am in ministry school, so there's that. And I lead yeah. women. Wow. Yeah. And, and yes. Yeah. You have like a group of ladies that you're working with and discipling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's about really seven cool. Years. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maisie, I don't know what you do besides preach at the Hills Church. So I'm um, our director of biblical justice and community outreach. So I help when we got to do events. Matthew was teaching me how to do all the events and then um, just considerations around race and social justice or biblical justice. And yeah. Um, yeah. And I also work full time and am also in seminary. So, wow. work full time doing. Um, I'm a proofreader for an accounting firm. Why do you okay. say it like I'm a proofreader for an accounting firm? I am a follower of Jesus. No, moonlighting <laughs> as a proofreader well, for an accounting firm. At this point in time, proofreading for an accounting firm is a a, a slog. It's tax season, so it's like I'm proofreading. But you're yeah. right. You're right. Uh, excellent. That's good. Yeah. So, and, and Larry is, uh, he leads a church uh, on the perimeter of Atlanta that has been around for a while. And it's a very non-traditional church. Um, they've journeyed all over the place. I think right now they're, they're working out of a co-working space and they're all about just, I, I think the core of their church is this idea of releasing people, um, of, of empowering people, helping people view themselves mm-hmm. as people empowered by God to do um, what God's equipped them to do. Uh, Jared and Don are down in Houston and, um, and Jared is, uh, leading, they, they are basically starting a neighborhood focused, uh, community of believers there. They, mm. they were kind of, uh, staff pastors at, at, a more traditional kind of mega church kind of situation. And God really said, Hey, I just want you to do a deep dive and, I know from our prayer time yesterday that they're, they're, they just went through a pretty rough experience with, uh, you know, when you, when you decide to do a deep dive and you bring some people into your life and things don't go the way you want, um, that hurts. And, uh, but they're, they're hanging in there. And so pray for Jared and Don. They're, they're kind of grieving uh, a loss of somebody they were discipling. And um, Paul Durbin is in um, Boulder, Colorado, which is uh probably to the left of Austin, Texas, uh, in terms oh. of pol- politics and everything else. And um, they're starting Belay Church that is uh, built and crafted for that community. 
Matthew uh, and Laura, I just already mentioned them. They are uh, leading the Hills Church, which is in a neighborhood in Denver. Um, that is, and it's a neighborhood focused church. Um, and uh, again, Maisie's part of that. And Matthew and Laura are doing a f- phenomenal job. And then Dan Serdahl is, uh, we, we call him uh, Gandalf. Um, he's actually the elder person on this call, even though he doesn't look like that. What are you going to say, Dan? He needs longer hair to be Gandalf. Come on. Oh, I, I was just unmuting myself in case I needed to defend myself. That was, Good idea. That was preemptive, totally preemptive. Good idea. But, but actually, Dan really is a, a wealth of wisdom. He's been part of a, a very innovative church in the um, Seattle-ish area. Um, that are exploring. I, I love what they did. They went from, what was it, like eight kind of campuses to, what do you call it, 37 villages? Am I anywhere close to right on that? Why waste a crisis? Ha! Yeah. Oh, I love Amen. it. Amen to that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and Dan is also, he worked with Stadia, which is an organization that helps uh, people start churches and, and um is just also an all-round just great guy and a great friend. And little secret is that Dan um, played a really big role in helping make Next Wave uh, the book that it is. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I. I. You don't have to defend yourself. That was. That was true because he played. He's. He's this little voice in the background going, "Well, what if we said it this way?" Oh, that's a great idea. Stuff Excellent. like that. Excellent. You want to say anything else, Dan? No, he, he okay. muted himself. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so now you kind of know <laughs> who you're talking to. And there's a community that I just mentioned to you guys just surpassed over. Now we have over a hundred members and there, this is a microcosm of that community. There are people spread all over the place. I think of, um, of uh, Janet in the Seattle area who's starting a neighborhood focused church. She's an African-American lady. Um, um, oh my goodness. I, I just, Eleanor Quay is a, is a medical doctor who started a clinic to serve underserved, um, housing projects in Lansing, Michigan. And it turned into five micro churches that mm-hmm. she leads on those different uh, housing projects while she's still a medical doctor leading a medical clinic. Um, uh, we have, uh, just people, we have people that'll be probably watching this that are uh, leading churches in the Bronx, in New York City, uh, people in LA. Uh, I think of Kylie and uh, and her husband. Uh, uh, I just blanked on his, her husband's name, uh, but somebody help me yeah. out here. What's Josh? Yeah, Josh. Yes, Josh Roberts. Yeah, and uh, they lead a church in uh, in San Francisco or in, in uh, LA that is really focused on the, the community that a lot of the artisans that are producing um the stuff we watch you know pixar and all those people are are living there so anyway so you get a sense of the spectrum here so here's the question i have for you you've already kind of answered this but just maybe bullet point a little bit and say okay if you guys were start so this is your chance you're the you're the lay people quote unquote i know that's a bad word i'm just i'm i'm not saying that uh with I, i just use that because that's that's the way often people are thought of that yep. are in your position. You're not the pastors, you're not the leaders. What, what do you want to say to these folks that are leading the church, that are creating the next church? Because that's what this is all about. What do you want to say to them about? You're starting a new church or you're, 
you're leading a church that's that's going and you know what what do they need to know let me just say this first i grew up with in minnesota where we learned the saying no good deed goes unpunished and i thought i get martha gets mad at me every time i say it and then i read paul and paul says don't grow weary of doing good why would paul say that if no good deed didn't go unpunished. I mean, no good deed goes unpunished. That's why Paul said, don't grow weary doing good. And so that's the first thing I want to say. You got to keep doing good. And it's got to, in your community, love your community incessantly. And it's going to, just as you mentioned that Jared and Don, whatever happened there, I'm sorry to hear about, but you're going to get hurt. You are going to be frustrated. People are not going to appreciate what you do but we're not doing it for that. And we can't grow weary of doing good. Jesus did good to everybody, even the thief on the cross next to him as he's bleeding to death. That's the model that we have. That's why Paul reminded us, don't grow weary of doing good. I just had a couple of things on my list, bullet point list. Throw the old ideas away. It sounds like many of you are already doing that already. But to, if you really want to make an impact, a different impact, do this. You want to know who the people are that you're ministering to? Go to where they are at. Don't ask them to ever come to you. Go to where they are at. Go to their workplaces. Go to their homes. Become in relationship with them. Too many churches today, the leadership have no relationship with the people except for on Sunday. Go find out where the people go get greasy and dirty and smelly and what they're building and what they're analyzing. Like, oh my goodness, accounting books, proofreading. Ah, that's just terrible. It wouldn't be for me. I have a attention, awesome. attention deficit. It would kick in about three and a half minutes in. But go to where people are at. Show them that you love them. Mm-hmm. Identify that this is another bullet point. Go look at your community. You know what they are. The rural communities. I, I tell people, you know, Steve, what you're doing in rural communities, we lived in Minnesota. We lived in a small town for four years. The rural communities of America are the most lost places in America. They're full of churches where nobody talks about Jesus. We were, in a, we were in a community of 2,500 with 11 Lutheran churches, a Catholic church, and an and a, uh, a, uh, assemblies. assemblies of God church. And the only reason there was Assemblies of God church is because the Lutheran churches ran out of denominations, so they started an Assemblies of God, but it was just like a Lutheran church. And the only place in the community that anybody was talking about Jesus was the Catholic priest he was discipling men. The church found out, they kicked him out. They rotated him They rotated him out of there. You can't, you can't talk about Jesus. So, so here's the deal. Find out what your community needs and meet that need. Then tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. If it's, if, and I would challenge you when you're dealing with ra- social and these racial issues, eliminate the word racial because we all come down from Noah and his wife, Joan, and their three sons and their three wives. Where do I call her? Joan, they're Joan not, of Arc. They're not laughing. They're not laughing. You guys get to figure this out. <laughs> Noah's wife's name was Joan, Joan of Arc. Get it? Okay. We all descend from those three boys. And they're three wives. Mm. We're all the same race. And we have that in common. And we've got to bring that commonality back. Yes, cultural differences. And there are deep issues that need to be healed. There's not near as much prejudice that they, in the media they're saying there is, but there's healing that needs to be done. And there's so many fake walls. But find out what your community needs. Meet those needs first before you start preaching about Jesus. And let people find out what's motivating you to do that. You know, and I just, along those lines, I know we've talked even with um, family members of ours that have said like, well, I don't understand why our church is doing blah, blah, blah. And 
we could see that it was serving the community, that it was being Jesus, that it was being a light, but their church didn't ever talk about that. So they didn't understand the connection. Like we're actually living out the gospel here by doing this. And um, that's, a, that's maybe just a word of caution um, from somebody who has heard, you know, a Christian um, critique, you know, be a critic and say, I don't understand why my church is spending money on this. When in fact, that's maybe the most evangelical thing they're doing because they're being Jesus in the community, but it doesn't look um, the way they expected it to. Um, one of the other things that I think of is the fact, you know, just vocabulary, um, just encouraging you to really think through your vocabulary. Um, we're talking about the workplace, but it's the same for the retirees. You know, it's having that conversation wherever they are. Maybe they are on the golf course, but maybe they're looking down the hall of an ALS, you know, retirement center, assisted living facility. Um, they can still be an active discipler of Jesus everywhere they are. So watching, you know, we have a pastor that one of the things he does really well is when he's giving an example, he'll say simple things like that, that bring it home. You know, he'll say, okay, so when you're looking down the hall of your retirement center or when you're, you know, wherever, but he gives not just business examples, not just church examples, but more everyday along the way examples. And that really resonates with people. They don't, you don't have to explain theology behind that. You just, you know, I just encourage that. Yeah, we need to stop explaining theology and live theology. Martha brings up a great point. One of the things, the biggest problems that these big monster churches are creating and that the little church doesn't ever have to reproduce. We need to get old people, we call them chronologically superior, involved with young people. Because young people today are growing up without elder influence. And we need not, we need to get, we need to pair them up intentionally. We need to find retired people who, who understand that their calling didn't die when they retire and say, Hey, I've got these young people. Would you be willing to just get dirty with them? Just, just walk down the streets with them. We got a lot of young people today, that, people writing books like uh, um, the passion generation by, um, Grant by Grant Skeldon out of Dallas and the initiative network. They said, listen, I just want, I want somebody chronologically superior to me that I can run alongside. I just want to learn life from them. I want to learn what it means to be to live like Jesus in every area of my life. I want to eat dinner with you. I want to paint your house with you. I so want to don't, clean you. don't segment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's, and let's get these people together. Uh, and, and here's my challenge to you guys, if you're preaching, number one, recognize that you're not the only preacher. You are not the only one in your congregation, whatever that looks like, that has been given the gift of preaching and teaching. But study your Bible from that perspective of an MBA, not an MDiv. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm just really excited to be chronologically superior. I, I'm feeling pretty good yeah. right now about that. Except for Dan. Dan Dan has outranked me. I know he looks younger than me because he's got that just whatever, that Nordic uh, <laughs> chiseled face. But anyway. Put it on right. your business well, card. Well, hey, hey, I want to I wanna just open it up and see if any of you guys uh, would just like to uh, pick Jim and Martha's brain a little bit. Uh, anything they said that caught your attention, you go, man, I want to hear more about that or I want to disagree with that. <laughs> go, Steve. 
Jim and Martha, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I think it's um, been vital in the past. And I think as we move into the future, um, it, it's really going to be an essential move of God. I, I have three kids. One's an attorney. One works for Goldman Sachs and one works for Tesla. And those environments are pushing them towards secular ideals and Man, to have you guys training uh, our people in the marketplace like that to really be Christian, I, I greatly value. Thank you for that. It's an honor. And what's really cool is it's not us doing the training. What we use our platform for is to make all the ministries that are focused on that discipleship, make them famous so people can connect with them. We created this thing called the Awaken Podcast Network, awakenpodcastnetwork.com, which highlights there's over 120 voices out there, podcast voices of people speaking into this. Many of them represent ministries uh, that are specifically focused on discipling. Some church people would call them para-church ministries, but don't ever call them that on my show because they're the church. They're not a para-church. <laughs> they're the church. Para-church is another one of those denigrating terms that's been used along with lay people. Right. So why don't, uh, playing off of Steve's question or comment, uh, just you've got some, what are some resources that you guys ha can make easily available to put, put tools in the hands of everybody here to help people that they're serving? You got to write this stuff down. We got some great organizations to draw your attention to. Yeah. Made, I mean, made to flourish.org. Are y'all, are y'all connected there already? I assume. Made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. you know, Dr. Charlie self sends his greetings. Ah, and, we love uh, Charlie. Charlie's been on the show. If you want to hear Charlie's interview with us. Yeah. He was, well, he's part of this community Excellent. and uh, Charlie. is often, he's often just here as one of the, one of the participants. He couldn't make it today, but uh, please make Charlie, Charlie feel guilty for missing us today. Made to flourish. Yeah. yeah. What's make, that? Make Charlie feel guilty for missing today. Made to Flourish, If what, what you'll love about Made to Flourish is that it's just a bunch of pastors learning all of what we just talked about for the very first time, that, that they're not the kingmaker, that they're just the servant of a thousand people or 3,000 people to help them understand the other 167. That's a great one. Uh, Martha, you had a couple of, of examples. A, um, there is a Faith at Work Bible. I don't know if you're all familiar with that, but there that has been published as well as the Theology of Work um, uh, Commentaries. And those you can get free online at um, theologyofwork.org. So yeah. Theologyofwork.org. Okay. And there you can have access to that. I've used it often when I've been studying and I'm just like, okay, I want to see this from a different perspective. And it's, you know, so they've made a commentary out of all of the scriptures um, that can help you to make that connection for the work. But for guys like Matthew who have a thousand books behind them, you can also get it in print. Yes, if you're a book lover on paper, which we are, we have our own set. I have my own copy. We don't want it digital, but um, but that is a, a resource. Um, you can also um, this. Is, I don't want this to sound like a, a you know a shameless plug, but we are writing three books that are all to be field manuals for these people that we have been talking about. The I work for him field manual. The she works for him field manual, and the I retire for him field manual. So these are, these are a collaborative effort of over 52 contributors telling their stories of how God has walked with them in their workplace as a woman, um, in retirement, whatever that might be. And we also highlight a lot of the ministries that we have seen disciple 
people in the faith and work conversation. And so those will be coming out. So if you go to our website, iworkforhim.com, and you subscribe to our blog, that's probably the best way to stay up to date to know when those are going to be releasing. Um, it is close to a New Testament mir- miracle when they do get in print because apparently writing three books at one time has not been done very often. So <laughs> We are releasing a trilogy. Yeah, That's right. it's pretty crazy. And our first one, hopefully our last one. Um, so there's some examples <laughs> of some people doing some pretty awesome things in their communities with the church organization. Um, Hope Works Chicago. Mm. Hope Works Chicago. I believe her name was Rebecca King. I looked at yeah. it this way. Rebecca King and Hope Works Chicago. Um, we interviewed her, but she did an example of, they figured out that everybody in their community needed to learn three things. Number one, how to use community transportation public transportation. Number two, how to write a resume. Number three, how to submit a resume and find a job online. And so they, huh. so they created a little, they took their, they got like an old house, I think in this, they're in the South side of Chicago. You know where Leroy Brown is? Some of you young people don't know that song. Uh, and so it's <laughs> yeah, dangerous there. Yeah, bad, bad Leroy Brown. And anyway, so they just figured out what the needs were in the community. They started teaching people. They taught people how to use public transportation so they could then get a job and drive the bus, take the bus to public transportation. Well, that's practical, tactical Christianity. And that's what our books are all about. Practical, yeah. tactical, factual, and biblical just for the everyday believer. They're not theologically, they don't, we don't use big words. No five-syllable words allowed in our vocabulary. You know, I'm just thinking, Steve, that we could easily put together a list of some of the shows of people that we've interviewed that we really think speak more into this conversation um, there's the church out of the Northwest that bought a hotel and used oh. that to fund their church, which I know, I think we talked about yeah. that. You know, yeah. this is your chapter that you're discussing and how to make the, the church yeah. sustainable. And that was a so phenomenal we, so show. So you can listen to these shows um, and really gain some more. So I think we should put together a list of some of them because be it, it will spur you to think. Yeah. And that's the whole purpose behind what we do every day is that God has... Um, allowed us the opportunity to just reveal the resources and ask you to do what, with it what you're supposed to. And it may, it may go in a completely different direction, but it may be um, inspiring. There's oh, a that's city, great. The City Reachers Movement is another one. Um, there, mm-hmm. But here's the other one. So a great example of a community coming together to reach its community for Christ. Fort Lauderdale, Florida has the Church United Movement. Uh, fostered by the National Christian Foundation in South Florida, but Church United, they've got 300 churches working together to reach the Fort Lauderdale community, which, by the way, is an extremely affluent and extremely poor community, depending on which side of the tracks you're on. And it's a um, got a lot of uh, vacation traffic in and out of it. And of course, it's a bilingual, actually, it's probably a 20-lingual community. I have no idea what that word would be. Uh, but the Church United, uh, and the National Christian Foundation in South Florida, they, they're funding what God is doing uh, there. You wanted to talk about funding today too, Steve, didn't you? Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, we're almost out of time. Yeah. So I want to ask you one other question uh, that you you alluded to this, but you know, part of the problem is when a, often the way people, leaders have traditionally thought about business people, um, they think, oh, they know how to make money. I want to get the money that's in their pocket into the offering plate so that we can use that. And so they often, and like you say, they, they think of them as, oh, they'll make good ushers or good, you know, offering counters because they know how to count money and stuff. So just 
quickly think, just throw out some ideas about, you know, how do we engage these high capacity people that, um, you know, they're leading businesses, uh, maybe they're even CEOs or whatever. And what, what's a good way that they can actually help that local church thrive in its mission mm-hmm. organizationally? Um, I'll start with that. And I know we want to watch the time, but um, two things, what Jim said earlier about, you know, going to lunch where people work, um, you know, in whatever world that looks like, I mean, make it COVID, whatever, but um, be relating to what they're doing and learning what their skills are, and then actually utilize them. I think it would be amazing if a pastor would have come to to us and said, you know, we're we're really trying to figure out how to um, better do this. And do you have any business ideas or things that you think that would work that would make the church run better? And instead of saying, hey, Jim, will you work in the nursery next Sunday? Because Jim, <laughs> right. would, Jim would end up, you know, not in a good place. I might if he say did a naughty that. word. <laughs> so, like, you know, oh, no. for a season, I was the treasurer of our church. When did I feel like I was giving some of the most back to my church? When I was the treasurer, because I was doing something that they couldn't do and giving them a huge service on a volunteer basis. So using what I, what I'm good at and, and, you know, so I just think that that really, and then where will they support? They'll support the place where they feel like they're, they're seeing it flourish. They're not wasting the money because they wouldn't listen to me. You know, they're, they're engaged better. So our, my advice, high capacity people, first of all, never call them high capacity people. Don't look at them like a blank checkbook. Love them. Get to know them. Share your heart with them. Be transparent with them. Let them be led by the Holy Spirit to give to you. Mm-hmm. Don't ask for money. Mm-hmm. If God, God is your provider. He said, I will provide everything you need. So therefore, the relationship with that person, you don't need to say, okay, hey, can you give me a hundred grand? I need to build a building. You just say, hey, Bob, I want to get to know you. Can we sit down and have a cup of coffee? And really mean it. Yeah. You don't care about how much money you can write you a check for. Someday you may go, why don't you ever ask me for money? And like, just wait for the Holy Spirit to lead you. But we need, they need to know that they can trust you and that you can trust them. Too many people in leadership in a church are not able to be transparent with the people within their church. If you want to transform your community, you need to be transparent and vulnerable with the people that you serve. Mm. And you need to do it especially with your high capacity people. Live life with them. They're tired of being asked for money by people they don't know and they don't care about. Give them a reason to give you money by loving on them, caring about them, and let the Holy Spirit guide them to write the check. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit iworkforhim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at I Work For Him to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at I Work For Him and online, iworkforhim.com. I work the number for him.com.